So good afternoon again. We're very excited for today's table talk, a conversation on race. And it's good to be with everybody on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is September 7th, 2022. As a reminder, the goal of our webinar is to bring awareness to the anti-racism work in the Florida Conference, to equip and support those who are integrating anti-racism into their ministry and their lives. And because we believe anti-racism to be an act of discipleship, we believe this is how we love God and we love neighbor. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I am a member of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racism Task Force. Now, today's webinar is part two of a two-part series on the topic, what is the Beloved Community? Today, we have two presentations. The first presentation will be a basic overview on the history of the Beloved Community, which will be led by me. And then we'll be joined by our very special guest, Alice Williams. And Alice will be giving us a basic overview of the Florida United Methodist Church Beloved Community. Um, if you don't know who Alice Williams is, Alice Williams is the president of the Williams Consulting Firm of Florida. And she serves as the Flotilla Staff Officer Public Affairs in the US Coast Guard Auxiliary. She's dedicated to supporting faith-based and nonprofit organizations in achieving their mission through human resource and leadership development consulting. Alice is the co-lay leader of the Florida United um, Church of Florida Annual Conference um, and a former lay leader of the East Central District. Uh, she's a lifelong Methodist and Alice has served on the Bishop's strategic leadership team. She's been a member of the East Central District Committee on Ordained Ministry, a member of the Conference Board of Ordained Ministry, um, and she also holds a Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration with a concentration in marketing from University of Central Florida, Go Knights. And she has a Master's of Business Administration from Rollins College. I don't know what their mascot is, but go, go Crummer, graduate school. <laughs> and Alice also serves on the Administrative Matters Committee, Investment Subcommittee, and Loan Scholarship Subcommittee for the board. So we're, have her, we're happy to have her today. Thank you, Alice, for joining us. So first, let's begin with a basic overview on the beloved community. First, I want to start at the end, okay? In church, we have this theological term called telos. And it's a Greek word that means the end to which all things relate, the aim, the purpose. And for Paul, he uses this word in 1 Timothy to describe the goal of his message, the goal of his command. And he tells Timothy this, the goal of our instruction is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And the reason why I wanted to start with the end is because the beloved community was the goal for Martin Luther King. This was the end to all of his speeches, the end to everything that he ever constructed was something called the beloved community. And so I wanna show you Martin Luther King's telos and the way that it is revealed in his speeches and even in, in his, in his um, nonviolent protests. And I wanna read some of these experts. The concept of the beloved community can be traced through all of his speeches and writings from the earliest to the last. In one of his first published articles, he stated that the purpose of the Montgomery bus boycott is reconciliation, redemption, and the creation 
of the beloved community. In 1957, in a newsletter where he's talking about the newly formed Southern Christian Leadership Conference, he describes the purpose and the goal of that organization as, as this. He says, the ultimate aim is to foster and create the beloved community in America, where brotherhood is a reality. He says that the Southern Christian Leadership Conference works for integration, and our ultimate goal is genuine intergroup and interpersonal living, so integration. And in his last book, he declared that our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. So as you can see, the beloved community was Martin Luther King's telos. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about different definitions of what the beloved community is. And you'll see that they all pretty much have the same theme. So here we go. These are about five visions that I want you to think about. King's vision was a vision of a completely integrated society, a community of love and justice, wherein brotherhood would be an actuality in all of social life. Dr. King envisioned a world where everyone strives to benefit for the common good. And he spent his life working to make economic and social justice a reality for all communities. King envisioned the beloved community as a society based on justice, equal opportunity, and love of one's fellow human beings. The beloved community for King is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, Hunger and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human de decency will not allow it. So racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood and in between. So the beloved community is a community in which everyone is cared for, absent of poverty, hunger and hate. And so for me, as I've studied the beloved community the last couple of years, this is my definition. It's just an all-inclusive group working together to meet the basic needs of the community, especially those who are experiencing poverty. So why is the beloved community important? Well, I have just three reasons here that, that I've been able to reflect on. Number one is because it takes a village. And you've heard this phrase over and over and over again. And the truth is, if we're going to make an impact in the community around us, churches can't do it alone. Just last Sunday, I was preaching in a local church where there's about four or five churches in the same block, on the same block. And I know that there is great need in the community around it. And for me, the vision of the beloved community would be what does it look like for all of these churches to come together and begin to meet the needs of the community and begin to brainstorm together? But not only those churches, but what does it look like for an interfaith group to also form with those churches or even a non-faith group? Because that's what it means to be all-inclusive. So that's one reason why it's important because it takes a village. Another is because I believe this Christian vision of the beloved community shapes our theological understanding. Because I believe that we should offer hospitality to the community because we're a Christian, as opposed to offering hospitality to those who are interested in being a Christian. It's a very different vision. The beloved community is all-inclusive. 
And for me as a father, I believe that our children need to see glimpses of the beloved community. If you think about it, our children are exposed to integrated communities in public schools, when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the doctor, all of those communities are integrated for the most part. But then we teach them that worship and church is the most important time of their lives. But worship and church, as Martin Luther King says, can be the most segregated hour in America. And so for a lot of kids, their introduction to segregation begins on Sunday morning. And so that's why I say our children need to see visions of a beloved community. And for me, a beloved community is a group of people who willingly, despite their differences, come together to make a difference in the community. So I believe our children need to see this. All right, so now what does this, this beloved community look like? I have just some, some examples that I've seen in some local churches. Um, and I want you to be thinking about this all-inclusive vision. For example, there's a, a local church, First United Methodist Church of Orlando, who has a program that they were supporting uh, refugees from Afghanistan, making sure that they had housing, making sure that they had enough to eat, and you can hear the redemptive stories and, and just the beautiful stories that are happening there. Also, when local churches include LGBT in, in their worship and in their leadership, that is an all-inclusive vision. Also, when you think about mercy ministries, food pantries, community dinners, um, those are also little glimpses of the beloved community. And also when you think about those who are actively working to create systemic change, such as uh, conversations on voter suppression, like David Williamson's training and accountability group and those justice ministries. For me, those are also visions of the beloved community. Now, um, so where do, we, where do we start? Where do we start? Well, I believe that we need to think about what are the all-inclusive elements that God brings to this world? And I, the first thought for me is the communion table, right? But then I, I think about the elements that brings everybody together. And one of them is food, right? Food always brings people together because everybody's hungry, right? I know for my college students, I ask them, are you hungry? And they say, we're always hungry, <laughs> right? And so food is this one element that brings all kinds of people together. What else brings people together? Just basic needs, shelter. If we create a place where people can come and they can get support for shelter, that brings people together. You know what else brings people together? Money. <laughs> when you offer financial assistance, when you, when you offer grants to the community. And all of these food pantries and all of these um, community dinners and financial assistance, what they do is that they help us understand what the need is. They engage us with the people in the community and we begin to discern how our churches can make a difference. And so that's why I believe that the beloved community is, is very important. And, and before Alice, uh, speaks. I just want to share one more thing on the beloved community. And this is, I forgot to write this down, but I feel like it's important. 
One of the things that we must understand about segregation, specifically during the part during Martin Luther King's era, is that segregation created racial discrimination and access to basic needs, access to schools, to housing, to healthcare. And that segregation has created inequity in our system. And so this is why the beloved community's vision is integration, but it's integration not only in terms of just being in a community and laughing together, but it's about making sure that we are integrating every single person into the basic needs, like healthcare, like food, um, like shelter, because we have been part of a society that historically has created these inequities for basic needs. So this is why the beloved community is crucial, not only at the mercy ministry level, but also at the systemic level. Um, and that's why programs like David Williamson's are crucial. So that's a basic overview on the beloved community from Martin Luther King's perspective. Um, and now I'd like Alice to share a little bit on the Florida United Methodist vision for the beloved community. So Alice, look, thank you for coming today and the floor is yours. Hey, Erwin, thank you so much. And I really appreciated what you said and the foundation that you laid. Um, and it, it is what we are building from. The beloved community in the FLUMC is not a new idea. And I wanna make sure that people understand that. It has been around for a long time. We formalized it maybe a little bit more. Um, Reverend Dr. Sharon Austin uh, put together a, a group uh, called the Beloved Community. Uh, back in 2018, we first started talking about it. 2019 was the first time that it was brought up in an annual conference and there was a report given. Uh, but it, is, it has been around and the concept has been around for a long time. It took on, a, I think, a slightly different uh, feel uh, because of the events that took place with Breonna Taylor, with, with all of the, the racial injustice kinds of things starting to come to the forefront. And the bishop actually uh, called a group together to become the anti-racism task force. And the beloved community was a part of that work. Uh, and that took place in 2020. Um, but the beloved community is a little bit different from just the work of anti-racism in that it encompasses all of the isms that we deal with, anyone who is marginalized or any way that we are doing anything less than enabling people to become uh, part of uh, their calling and their work within the church. So it is a, it is a broader um, emphasis than just anti-racism, although anti-racism currently has been a big part of it because that's, that's what our communities are calling for and our need has been so far. You know, Erwin, uh, you talked about food, and I'm, I'm glad you did, and, 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 because there's this analogy that I just cannot get away from. And we talked a little bit about it at annual conference, but it's the notion of us being gathered at the table. Uh, we are at the Lord's table when we celebrate communion. And I love the fact about the Methodist Church, and it's one of the reasons I think I will always stay UMC, is the fact that our table is open. We are open to everyone. No one is denied 
as a place at the table for communion in our church. Um, regardless of, of whether you fully understand what you what you're engaging in in that moment, or whether you come from a different faith background, you are still welcome at the Lord's table in the UMC. And there is this visual that I have of, of all of us together at the table. And it's one where um, no one is excluded, but it looks very, very um, diverse in its nature. And the reason that I bring that up is because um, there's a pastor, Reverend John Pavlovich, who spoke at St. Luke's not long ago, and uh, the church that I go to, and, and talked about what it means to be table setters, meaning that we set the table, that that's part of our work in the beloved community, is to set the table for people to come and, and be at the table of, of the Lord's for communion. But it's also about setting the table so that people feel welcomed and that they can begin to understand, and I'm going to use a very Wesleyan term here, their journey towards perfection. They can begin to understand God's calling on their life, what it means to be living into that beloved community in that sense, so that they can enable the work of the Holy Spirit within them to enable them to become the people that, that God would have them be and have us be. Um, this, as I said, is not a new thing, but what I do think we are called on to be that might be a new thought is not only are we table setters, but Erwin, all of us are called to be table seaters of the beloved community, meaning that we usher people in. It's not just enough to set the table, but that we usher people in. And I think that's really what Martin Luther King was kind of getting to, is it's not enough to believe in those things that enable us to be the beloved community of God, but it's that we are also the people that, that do the active work of not just setting the table, but bringing people to the table and ensuring that they're set there. And I think that's a really powerful uh, visual for us to hold on to. And that's part of what our beloved community work within the Florida Annual Conference has been. As I mentioned to you, it is not something that is new, but it's new in how we're trying to live into it. Uh, the big part of what the beloved community group or committee has been doing is trying to come up with resources uh, that would enable people to engage in conversation uh, at their local church level. So we're resourcing both laity and clergy to be able to have those conversations. Sometimes that means that we as the beloved community committee create those opportunities. Sometimes it means that we provide resources for churches to be able to do that. Uh, sometimes it means that we provide interactive opportunities. Sometimes it means that we provide uh, things like studies that might be done at the local church level, uh, book studies, that kind of thing. Uh, and it may be, too, that we are providing the tools and the resources to equip both clergy and laity to be able just to be in dialogue, to be able to go out and have a cup of coffee with someone who's different uh, or thinks differently from you. And that's part of being the beloved community. I do want to, to share just a few things to add kind of what you talked about. There is a, a website, uh, it's called 25 Traits of the Beloved Community. And it's not unique to the Florida Annual Conference. I wish we, we, we had come up with these, but they're already out there. Uh, it was written by uh, Dr. Arthur Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, 
Uh, and in them, there's, there's 25 of them. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I do wanna talk about a few that I think are really applicable to what we do and the Florida Annual Conference and the people we are called to be. The first is that you offer radical hospitality to everyone, an inclusive family rather than an exclusive club. And I think, wow, that is really powerful in that oftentimes our churches, and I, you know, I can say this as lady because, because, you know, I've, I've, I've been in churches that are like this. We do a really good job of, of ministering and caring for those who are like us, who, who feel fit in our, our circle, if you will, and, you know, who fit our congregation and we minister inwardly well, but, but that becomes exclusive, the people who are out of our circles. And we must be thinking about those. The other thing that uh, number two of the, the traits of a beloved community is that it recognizes and honors the image of God in every human being. You know, Erwin, one of the most powerful things that I think I've experienced through the work of the beloved community is this notion that we see the face of Christ in everyone, the people we agree with, the people that we don't, the people that we like, the people that we don't, the people that we are drawn to, the people that we're not, but they're all made in the image of God. And they do represent the face of Christ in every single person. Another thing that they talk about is recognition and affirmation, not eradication or differences. In other words, you're not focusing on the things that make us difference, but you focus on the things that we are uh, connected by. And in the United Methodist Church in the Florida Annual Conference, we emphasize the fact that we believe that we are brothers and sisters, siblings uh, in Christ. And so that means that we need to focus on the things that don't just make us different, but the things that we recognize that bind us together as our brothers and sisters. And then the other one that I really liked is that listens emotionally. We listen with the heart as well as the head. And that's a Wesleyan thing that we connect the heart and the head, but that we listen with the heart and we have compassion. And that ties into our thoughts around mercy and justice and how we have to be uh, engaged in that work. We are called to that work in the Florida Annual Conference. It's not something that we can just be um, observers of, but it's, we're called individually to engage in that. And so here's kind of a funny thing, you know, God gives us gifts when we least expect it. This past Sunday in her sermon, Reverend Jen Stiles Williams at church, uh, my church mentioned about the fact, uh, the analogy of football season and go football, go nights, like you said, or when uh, I'm, I'm really big into that. But she said, you know, it's so so or such a good analogy of where we are as the church in that we love to watch those 11 players on one team and 11 players on another go out there on the gridiron and do their thing and you know it's those those 22 people who are actively engaged while there may be 40 50 60 or with television millions of people who are watching as spectators i i firmly believe being the beloved community is not a spectator sport it's one where we are called to be engaged in it. That means that each of us have to go out and do the work of building the beloved community. It's not up to the clergy. It's not up to the, the folks who are engaged in the beloved community task force or the, the anti-racism task force. It's up to each one of us to be engaged in that work. It's not spectator sport. 
So those were some thoughts that I had about the, the beloved community and, and what we're doing in the Florida Annual Conference. Um, there, there is a website that you can go to. It's on the Florida Annual Conference. It's called the Beloved Community. It's a little sparse right now. We're still working on putting some of the resources into it, uh, but you will be seeing more and more of that work. And I'm also going to claim the laityspace.org is a place that you can also go and find resources uh, that we can put from time to time uh, out there. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of bring that forward, Erwin, as some of the things that we've been engaged in and, and uh, you know, just some thoughts around uh, the Bluff community and, and build on what you talked about. I don't no, know if there's great. any questions or not. But yeah, to help. We don't have any questions yet, but I'm always thinking of some questions. Let me, let me ask you for some advice for somebody who's listening to today's webinar and they want to start a beloved community in the church. Where would you suggest they begin? The very first thing I would do is if you're laity, have a conversation with your clergy and just say to your pastor, you know, it's been on my heart. It's laid on my heart. You know, I don't want us to be a spectator, this to be a spectator sport any longer. I really want us to be thinking about how we as a congregation um, can can open ourselves so that we create more of the beloved community. So I would start there and then I would find probably five to maybe 10 other folks that you know well in, in your congregation who you think would be willing to engage in this work with you. There are some great books out there that uh, we can list for you. Um, uh, and uh, there's some ways that we can engage in conversation. There's some great YouTube videos that we can reference. Uh, and I happen to think that some of the things that, that are out there that uh, Martin Luther King had, had put forward um, and there's, there's a lot of those kinds of resources are some great starting points in helping people to understand how to start to engage in the conversation. That's great. That's great advice. You know, I would really suggest, and I've, I've kind of been big on this lately, is community dinners. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, I work at the university and, you know, college students love free dinners and they love free food. And so we began to offer free food to the entire campus. And we had about 200 people come to these events and they were, they were diverse. We had Muslim students. We had students who didn't believe in God. And then they kept asking us, who are you guys? Why are you doing this? And they began to change their perspective on the church. And so now I'm on the mindset that if I were to go back to the local church, community dinners are so important. Right. Community dinners, coffees, any, any, I mean, anything that would enable people to start to, um, to come together. And, I, and again, I think food, to your point, who of us doesn't get hungry? Who of us wouldn't like to have a, a cup of coffee or tea or whatever at some point? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's meeting people where they are and, and just being human with one another, right? Just sharing a little bit about ourselves. And, and I'll tell you the hardest part of it all, I think, is being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be open enough to where you share the things that you're curious about, the things that you may be uncomfortable about, the things that you wish were different in yourself, uh, the ways that you wish that you could reach others in a different way. If you're, if you're sharing those kinds of things, Erwin, uh, I think that, that begins to build that bridge. Um, and it's relationships. It's all about building relationships. You know, and, and related, um, because sometimes I put on my pastor's hat and I, and I think about ministries that are sustained self-sustaining right or ministries also that um, are bringing people into worship but can you give us a word on changing our mindset so that 
we're not creating beloved communities with another end goal of they have to come to worship. They have to come to worship because it's possible to have a thriving beloved community and not many of those people come to worship. And we, we're stuck in that mindset that it's all about worship numbers. So can you speak a little bit into that? Well, and that's a great point. Um, there's two thoughts that I have to that. First off is that we've got to, to kind of get out of the, the idea of, of people coming to a place or, or the walls of the church. We do want people to join us in worship. Don't get me wrong in that. But um, it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. And I would say to you that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to basically what we're doing is we're, we're ushering people in, right? We're, we're, we're helping people to understand the love and grace of Christ, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to work within them as to where that's going to lead in the future. We're, if you want to think of it another way, we're planting seeds. But you asked a question and it's, it's one that um, I've given some thought to. The reality is for me, I have experienced what it's like to be on the inside but I've also experienced what it's like to be on the outside of the church, to be marginalized. I've been very fortunate. I am a very, very privileged individual. And I know that I'm white. I've, I've had, uh, and that comes with its own uh, privileges that, that others don't have. I, I understand that. And I, I know that. I don't know that I always appreciated how that impacted other people. But, uh, and I don't know that I was always conscious of it, but, but I'm very much aware of that now. Um, we live in a very, a country that has a lot of opportunity in it. And I, I have been very fortunate in that I have been able to, to engage in ways uh, and, and leverage good education and all of that. And it's enabled me to be, you know, by, by most measures, I'd have to say I've been successful in career. So I, there's, there's a lot of that. But I also know what it's like to be marginalized because a portion of who I am, my makeup happens to be that I'm LBGTQ and that that has put me on the margins in some instances within the church, the place that I love, the place that has nurtured me through the years. So I know what it's like to be in and I know what it's like to be out. You asked about what can we do to kind of help change our mindset I think the biggest thing for me is to remember what it felt like to be in and what it has felt like to be out and what that pain or even even the micro abrasions, not even the big stuff, but just just the little things that that you would say, yeah, I, I, I know that it's not a comfortable thing to be on the outside. If you can think of those moments and maybe it goes back to grade school when you know, you didn't get to play in a, in a waste or a place that you wanted to or be on a team that you wanted to be on, or maybe you didn't get to sit at a table with something. Any of those things that would enable you to remember what it felt like to be treated differently or to be viewed as less, that's going to begin to help you to understand what others experience. That's great advice, Alice, and I, I thank you so much for your words. Um, we do have one question. Let's end with this question from Jeff Taylor, and he asks, are the beloved community and fresh expressions doing some work together? He says he sees that both of them have a similar vision. Um, so he wants to know if they're doing any work together. We have folks on the beloved community who are engaged in fresh expressions. We have folks from fresh expressions that are engaged in beloved community work, but you bring up a great point. There's probably more synergy there that we could look at. And I promise you, I'll take that to the team. I get to go back and talk with them about it and I will. Um, or when you said there was one thing, I, there's, I, if I could just one, one closing sure, sure, thought, sure, sure. Please. and it's John 13, 34, and it's, it's so 
powerful for me um, when I think about the beloved community and the work. It says, a new commandment I give you to love one another. That's strong enough in itself. But I believe this notion of the beloved community is more than that. And it goes on to say, the scripture goes on to say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. I believe the beloved community is not just a thing that we do, but it's a way of life that we live. And, and I heard um, Russian Kimball recently in, a, in an interview that I had with him say this, and I believe I've heard Derek Scott say this, but it's, folks, it's about us living in such a way that people can't tell where I end as a person and the Jesus in me begins. I love that thought. People can't look at us and they can't tell where we end and where the Jesus in us begins because we are treating everyone with this understanding of what it means to be part of God's beloved community. Awesome, Alice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I've been proud to work alongside you and others in the beloved community, and you've all taught me so much. And I want to thank you so much for your time today and every, the ways you've invested in our conference in, in the last um, number of years. Um, we're going to end today's webinar, and I want to thank everybody who has come today. Um, and I want to just mention to Laura, she asked, is there any chance that there could be some synergy with shade and fresh water? We need to find healing for those who have been wounded by exclusion. And I want to let you know that next month's webinar will be on celebrating and talking about how to start anti-racism ministries. And we're going to have a presenter who's going to talk about an anti-racism ministry that she started in her local church for those who have experienced the wounds of exclusion. So that's just her ministry there. And so we'll talk a little bit about that next month. Um, so make sure you tune in. So thank you so much to everybody again. And thank you again, Alice. And we'll see you next month. And we'll follow up with some resources. Peace and love to y'all. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye -bye. you.